I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, as promised, I'm going to talk about Surviving R. Kelly Part 2, or at least Season 2, um, The Aftermath. Okay, so things have gone topsy-turvy. Um, real interesting over the past, what, week since the new year? Um, 45 and his admin are just doing some wild and crazy things. Um, and I just don't, I just don't know what. So we're scared over here. Um, we're scared over here. Um, if you are listening, not from the United States, um, we're nervous. We're, we're, we're the citizenry, the, the, we're nervous, or at least um, most of us are nervous, um, especially people of military age. I think there's a lot of misinformation and confusion about a draft and who would go to the military and all of that stuff and and all of that. And I think uh, there are jokes because you make jokes to hide the pain sometimes of, you know, things that you can't change, um, the murder, the death, the killing of Soleimani, um, seemingly unprovoked, um, although what we know in the news media is that this person was not a nice person and did very evil and dastardly things to his own people and enemies and whatnot um, and deserved punishment. But the the concern is that this wasn't the way to go. Um, and the United States has a habit and the West in general has a habit of destabilizing countries for their own gain. Um, and then running in to tr- try to play Cap- Captain Savaho, talking about, oh, you know, like basically throwing a Molotov cocktail into a burning house and then running in to, t- to tell everybody that you, you saved, you, you saved everybody in the house. But you're the one that threw the cocktail in the first place. Anyhow, um, so at least people in my circle, on my social, in my social media, in, in my life, um, in person, at work, nervous, um, not really sure what to make of these, of this whole thing. Um, and, you know, not all, already having issues with trusting the news media, just concerned, you know. And so anyway, it's been interesting. Um, there was a debriefing that happened. Um, has that happened? No, no, no. The debriefing will happen. I think at, at the time of this recording, or not the time of this recording, at the time of the release, there will be some sort of debriefing um, and juries out on how that will be perceived. Anyway, um, this is some, these are trying times and, you know, everyone's talking now, especially on radio, radio right here in Baltimore, um, talking about how this piece of, this nugget of information that a sitting president who's running for a reelection during a war is always reelected. And so, but I don't know that a war needed to happen for me to feel, and I think I mentioned this, that I don't, because of the way things turned out in the last election, I am not and have not been for months now convinced that there is enough momentum to um, vote out uh, for the current administration. Um, not because I believe that they, the, this current administration or, excuse me, Trump himself will have generated um, more support. I don't think Trump has generated more support. I just don't think he's lost enough not to win. Um, yep. So essentially it's like polarized, but like the people who he had energized before, despite their best interests are probably still going to, um, vote for him. And if I'm being honest, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, um, like if you are not wrapped up in politics, like most folks are, I'm just talking about United States politics. If you're not wrapped up in politics and you're kind of just 
trying to stay out of the fray and you're just going based off what you see on certain news outlets and you only follow certain news outlets. I'm not saying, and please walk with me here. I'm not saying that you're naive. I'm just saying that it can be easier for you to just be like, well, I don't see anything that's directly impacting my life that's negative. I'm just going to go ahead and do this thing. I know a lot of people are mad, but a lot of people are always mad. So let me just keep on this front. And then there's a whole bunch of people where I believe that regardless of how it has impacted them, they want to keep this person in office um, just because they represent something for them that some sort of ideal that they want to hold on to of American exceptionalism that they want to hold on to and that, that, you know, that doesn't exist. But anyway, so I don't know. I don't know what all of this means. Catch me in August. Or is that when the conventions are over? When the, when the democratic field has been narrowed, when we're at convention, catch me then catch me in the summer. Um, and we'll see what this all means. If we're in a war with Iran, if we're, if I don't know, I just catch me on that in the in the in the summer. Anyhow, um, anyway, moving on. So yeah, so there's that. Um, and then you know the Ravens are going to the Super Bowl. Well, oops, I'm speaking too soon. They're in the playoffs. It is the assumption that they're going to the Super Bowl, so that'll be interesting. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, um, we're not hearing a whole lot about Jay Z. Jay-Z is not making a whole lot of waves right now, although he will be making waves, I'm sure. We'll be talking about him again in his Uncle Tom, do you call it Uncle Tomery? Do you, his, what is it, fickleness? Um, Because at the end of the day, that stuff that he was pulling, talking about it, kneeling, we're past kneeling now. Negro, you never kneel to begin with. Thanks. Um, Anyway, um, we'll see what the conversation turns to come the um the Super Bowl, you know, because again, he's supposed to have this huge contract with the NFL that he's putting people on. It's supposed to be what is he the diversity uh expert or something like that? I don't really know his role. I really don't care. Um, I guess the point is, you know, I've been back and forth on whether or not to boycott the NFL since Kaepernick first took a knee, or at least was. I think he was not hired that following season after he began taking a knee. Um, At first he was sitting down and then he took a knee. Um, Anyway, I've been going back and forth because I think I've shared that I, I don't know about any other city where there is a professional team, but Baltimore particularly, some of the major employers in this city are the Ravens and the Orioles, without question. Without question, you can't throw a rock without knowing somebody who either works a ticket box, who either is a retiree that's, that's in security, um, somebody who works in the, in the office, um, somebody who is a season ticket holder, somebody who is uh, connected with a company that supplies something for them, somebody who is, yeah, yeah, actually it's, it's those categories, who is not a huge super fan who's who works for a company that supplies the Ravens or or our sports teams with something who works in the front office or who at the very least um is a part of the security staff that you can't I can't throw a rock and not I'm I'm thinking right now as I'm speaking um I can think of four people that go to my church who are connected to the Ravens, well, or at least the Ravens and Orioles, especially on the security team. But then I know somebody, I know two people in the office that work in the office because I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just like that. Baltimore's like that. And so, and that's just like Hopkins. I, I know even more people who work for Hopkins. So I guess my point is to divest from, um, a sport when, you know, when, when your local team of that sport is inextricably connected to you and your life in some way, shape or form is, is difficult. And I think there is a way for you to, I mean, you're not going to get around if you do, if you go to a game, if you buy a jersey, somehow or another, you are ultimately supporting the NFL. There's no getting around that. Your money is going to some of these players and some of the owners, but by and large, you are supporting that sport, right? But that doesn't mean that you can't still hate stances and, and uh, that they're, that the governing body is taking, the leadership is taking, and that you can't do things 
to um, call attention to their hypocrisy. I just think we, I think we can do both. I think, again, people need jobs. People need to work. Um, Yep. People need jobs and people need to work. And let us be clear. We have been working for and probably still do, even if it's not directly with the company that we work for. We have been supporting fools for so long, Um, even before we as a culture moved into being more um, activist, activated in our activism. Um, And so anyway, am I going to watch the Super Bowl? Absolutely. Am I going to watch the playoffs? You got it. Um, Because as fickle of a fan as I am, I think the Ravens have a shot. Um, Even though every time they play a game, I think they're going to lose. That's just a pessimist in me. Um, Anyway, um, my hubby says that's the hater in me, but it is what it is, man. You proved me wrong. I'd rather you prove me wrong because just it's the way I operate when it comes to sports because it's completely out of my control. Anyway, so yeah, so those things have been happening. Um, Anyway, and then the other thing that happened that I was preparing for, but I don't know that I was really ready for the way it came across, is the Surviving R. Kelly, um, the second season, which is weird to say second season of something that was second season of something that's true but I guess there is a part two if you're getting more voices in there right if there's a second season when it was what what was the first season five parts so surviving R. Kelly that was released toward the end of, of January of last year was what four or five parts right and it was nonstop. Ooh, I needed to take a break in order to go to you know go between the session uh, the, the episodes right so this one it's four episodes um, and focusing on four different major themes and stories, especially talking about R. Kelly and what we know that he was arrested on several counts for different reasons for, I think one of the arrests was for, um, I know one of the arrests was for um, knowingly giving one of the women that he is accused of victimizing um, a sexually transmitted disease, right? And there are others Um, that have come out. But in all of the stories, I guess there's one thing in particular that really stood out to me that I'm going to talk about. And then just generally taking a step back and listening to people's reaction to this. But then, so listening to people's reaction to this and then listening, remembering our conversations about R. Kelly after this um, season one uh, was released of last year. So, yeah, so stay tuned. It's going to be a little heavy. I'm not going to um, talk about deep. Well, I I may. I don't know. I don't know where this is going because I'm just kind of speaking from the heart right now. Um, I'm definitely going to share some stories in my own family life that um, are hard. And this subject matter itself is hard. Um, It's talking about violence, uh, intimate partner violence And um, so if this, you know, just a warning, if you're not ready to talk about this right now, if you're not ready to listen to it right now, maybe don't listen to it at work. Um, Maybe listen to it on the train home um, and then listen to something else that will be uplifting later. All right. All right. So in this next segment, I'm going to get into my reaction to surviving um, R. Kelly season two. So, all right, so let me get into, I guess before I get into talking about a specific aspect of the season and and just so that we're clear, I'm not going to go through each episode. I didn't do that last time. I'm not going to do it this time. There's so much information. There's so much to, to talk about that this would end that this episode would end up being like a four part episode. And I don't want to do that. The work has been done. Dream Hampton has done the work. Um, and so it is important that we, you know, smarter people than me with more resources and who could speak more intelligently about this subject matter, because there really is two different things happening here. It's a cultural response to sexual violence and perceived victimhood. And then there's just generally speaking, um, 
what we do with people who are doing a thing for us that we really love, how we treat them, even when in the face of crimes that they've committed. Um, so anyway, so there, there are two large conversations that are ultimately happening there that somebody smarter than me is probably already talking about dissecting and certainly Dream Hampton herself in producing this and putting this on is, is saying that in, in both season one and season two. Um, I think those are the major themes. Um, that and the fact that, you know, chart shining spotlight on the fact that whether we're doing this knowingly or, or in, uh, intentionally or unintentionally, black women and girls are not um, treated fairly and are not properly looked after as that's a hard one to say because women in general, first off, women in general are treated poorly. But among women who are treated poorly, it feels as if in the United States, black women are treated even worse, right? Because our vic- we have to we have to prove our victimhood. We have we have more things that we, we have more standards in place to prove our victimhood. Now it, it could be said that poor women, just in general, have to do more to prove their victimhood. And I, I don't actually want to have that conversation. I don't. Somebody else is going to have that conversation. Somebody else is having that conversation right now. I don't want to have that conversation. I want to talk about. Number one, I want to talk about two things. Number one, I want to talk about Dominique uh, Gardner, um, the young person who in season one, we saw that her mother went and got with the help of the producers of the show, got her daughter, got her mother came, went and got Dominique, right? Or Dominique's mother went and got her, right? Um, And then that whole relationship and what we saw, what we were allowed to see on camera in season one and then in season two in the relationship between the both of them. And then I want to talk about the two women who worked for the sisters who worked for R. Kelly and the way they spoke about against these accusations from these women. Um, Because that struck a nerve with me for a number of different reasons. And I'll get into that in a second. Um, But yeah, so let me just... So those are the two ways that I want to talk about this. Again, watch the series if you are in, if you can handle that sort of thing. Um, and then listen to people who are smarter than me talk about it and really dissect things. Listen to Dream Hampton herself talk about why she wanted to bring in that other voice, the, the voice of those two sisters who worked for R. Kelly. Um, and all of that. So anyway, so let me just jump right in. So uh, I will say right off the bat that I was angry watching this season, whereas last season I was just horrified at how I behaved when the tape came out when I was in college. Knowing, categorizing the behavior that I knew to be recategorizing behavior as an adult. I mean, I was an adult when I was in college, but a grown, do you know what I mean? More mature, more aware adult. And so going through the motions of that and what I will say is in the aftermath of that, I wasn't the only one. I had a good friend who, and I can't remember if I mentioned this in the episode last year, go uh, go back to um, last season and go to the Surviving R. Kelly one that I did in January. I can't recall if I talked about one of my um, college friends that I'm still in touch with. Um, But I just, I can remember us both. She is, and, and the person that I'm thinking of right now, she is a super evolved person. Um, she's from Chicago. Again, uh, if I, if you listen to that episode, you, I, I will just share that. Um, I had a lot of friends in college because of the college that I went to. The college that I went to was a predominantly white college, a PWI, right? But that there were pipelines to certain urban cities in Louisiana, in D.C., in Kansas City, in Chicago, those cities. So in Louisiana, it was Baton Rouge and New Orleans, right? In in Maryland, it was Baltimore, but D.C., that DMV air, well... It's Baltimore and then the DMV, because if you're from Baltimore, you don't, Baltimore ain't part of the DMV. DMV is something else, right? So anyway, so the DMV area, a few folk from New Jersey for the most part, but I really didn't hang with them like that. 
I mostly, and then there were a ton of people. So like I said, there were people from Kansas City um, and, you know, from some of the, you know, Oklahoma, the Panhandle, um, Kansas, of course, a few folk, definitely Missouri because we were right there. Um, And then Chicago, there's a pipeline to bring black children, black children, black students from those areas that I just mentioned to our university for diversity. It was the, the predominantly white university. And honey, when I tell you it was predominantly white, I mean to tell you the black population at the time that I graduated, maybe four in the 400s, but this university had, in one dorm had 2,000 people in it. In one dorm. I'm not joking. The dorm, the largest dorm, that the dorm that I stayed in for my, my freshman and sophomore year of college was the oldest dorm in the country. Well, one of the oldest dorms in the country. It was also one of the largest in that particular dorm held 2000 people. And, and so if, if, for context, the entire African-American population or black population at that university was like four, four something. And one and they could all fit in one dorm and still have room left over to put other students. Right. So that's context. That's context for you. Um, so we were small. In that in that little ecosystem that we created, our, we were small in that little world. Anyway, but among those black students that um, I went to school with, I hung out with a lot of people from Chicago. My very best friend at the time was from Chicago, and then a lot of my good friends I met through that person, and I'm still in touch with a few of them. And one in particular, um, her and her cousin, I'm, I'm in touch with. Um, and so yeah, and so we were just commiserating on. I can rem- she's super she's super aware now she's an evolved person she's definitely renewed her mind on a lot of things she's going through a growth period right now where she just need growth and renewal period because um, we're still in our age figuring each figuring ourselves out right but like we are evolved past the point where we can accept certain things to be true accept certain things like violence against women to be our fault. And she has, she's an advocate for women and she has a, she has a lot of smart things to say um, about how we're treated, how we treat other folks, how we treat trans um, folks and, and other folks in the LGBTQIA um, community um, and all of that. So there's so anyway, she's one of she's a, a smart person um, anyway. And I can remember that when we were in college, though. Even when we were exploring ourselves, even when we were trying to get this thing together and figure out who we truly were, we both were like, well, they knew what they were doing in relation to the tape, the R. Kelly tape. And so I think I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one because we're talking about it even now, Um, how we were okay with this. And by we, I mean us personally were okay not as a culture, bay. I was okay with what I knew to be bad behavior. And not even more, more than that, because bad behavior makes it sound trivial. It makes it sound like, he, you know, he's a child and he got in trouble. No, he's a predator. And, and predators do predator things, and that's what he was doing. And I looked at that behavior and said, well, these women knew what they were doing. I don't believe that now, but I know what that feeling is like for a lot of people to say, that for, for the, a lot of these, or a lot of people to turn their anger and fury on the parents of these, of these girls and these people and the people themselves. I, I understand it because I was there once, but then I evolved and largely because the information was put in my face and I hate that it took someone to repackage the information and put it in my face and time and years for me to get it, but I get it now. And so anyway, so again, so season one, I was just mad at myself and just sad. Season two, I'm angry because there are more cases. What, what, did we, what do we know? There's over 40, over 40 cases of sexual violence uh, against R. Kelly. And we still have people talking about women lied to. Women lie too, and, and y'all should have known better. And uh, you as a parent, well, you were just putting your pe- you put your child up, you, you sold your child to, to R. Kelly, essentially. When in reality, R. Kelly was blackmailing them and so on and so forth. And what we learned from one of the episodes was that the young woman who 
sued R. Kelly for giving her a sexually transmitted disease without his knowledge, without her knowledge. Um, people on his team released her nudes. There was a whole website releasing releasing information on on his, his accusers from the uh, from from season one. Do you know how depraved you got to be? Do you know how, like, even if you don't believe their stories, do you know how much energy and how much hatred and how much self-loathing that you, you, well, hatred against women that you have to have? Like, you're oppressed if you take it a step beyond just not believing the stories of these women to exposing their criminal records, what they've said on social media about sex, how they portray themselves online as a way to discredit their claims of sexual violence and abuse. That's just beyond, that's just beyond, I don't believe you. That is, I don't like you. I don't like what you represent. I actually am in my, and then this is just Bay talking. This is just me talking. There's a piece of that that also for me screams, Women are supposed to behave in this particular way. You are not behaving in that way. Therefore, you are not protected. You think you're protected, but you're not. And until you put yourself back in this category, you deserve any any and everything that you get. So there's a piece of me that feels like some of these people are, they believe that this happened to them, but they don't believe they're victims. Because they got what they deserve. Because they weren't behaving the way that a woman should behave. A girl should behave. A parent should behave, right? That's a that's an extra level. That's a deep layer. That's some depravity. That's some next level stuff. That's next level. Mm. You like you need some serious counseling and help. A whole website devoted to trashing these women in the most profane and gross and disturbing ways. But uh, uh, no, there is no but. That's just gross, right? And then so. So yeah, so you so you have that, right? And then you have continued stories, more stories of R. Kelly just being nasty, just being a fiend, just being a, not a fiend, you know what I mean? Just being an awful person who's a predator, being a predator. That's what I really want to say. More stories of him being a predator, so I won't go into them. But the one that struck me the most, the one that struck me the most resonated with me, not because I... In my family, there's a, there is that experience. And, and Dominique, uh, what is her name? Not Chambers. I just said it. Dominique. Dominique. Anyway, I can't remember the last name that I just said. Um, Dominique, in her being rescued by her mother and with the help from producers, but mostly the tenacity and the determination of a mother wanting to go get her child from... R. Kelly from a suite that he, they were in um, out in California. Um, that story struck me not because I had a, a similar situation in my family or these, that situation in my family, but there was a similar one. And, and walk with me here. So let me just remind you. So Dominique, um, Dominique was one of the last women being held, being yeah, held by R. Kelly and his team, right? And again, what we know, what we know to be absolutely 100% true is that um, R. Kelly was, was, R. Kelly did all of these things, these awful things to women, was able to be the predator that he truly wanted to be um, with the help of a lot of teams, a lot of staff members around him that he paid to help him keep quiet and, and, and get women and get girls and all of that stuff, right? And so, even, you know, at the end of what, 2017, when the walls were closing in on R. Kelly, he still had a few girls. And one of the girls that he still had was Dominique. And it was alleged that they uh, he made Dominique um, change her behavior, cut her hair to be more masculine presenting um, because there was an allegation that R. Kelly is bi um, and has deviant uh, fantasies about Anyway, none of that really matters. His his sexual his sexual his sexuality doesn't matter to me. And I know and I and I'm a little frustrated that that was part of the conversation because there's a there's a layer of homophobia in in that first and and it took me some time to get to that, but there's a layer of homophobia 
in season one that I don't think had any place. Homophobia has no place anywhere, but there was a conversation that was being had that Dominique, he made Dominique more masculine presenting because that's what he liked. And then he had her perform things on other feminine, high femme presenting women because that was a fantasy that he liked. And the thing about it is of all the deviant, of all the things, of all the things that he made these girls and women do, I don't know why that one stood out particularly. I think the fact that Dominique was being held just like, held and brainwashed just like any of the other women and girls that he had victimized should have been the thing, right? But for whatever reason in season one, they made that a story and that's that's homophobia to me and that's another conversation for another day, but it has no place in this conversation. So anyway, so the point is that this mother went and got her child, talked to her child and her child, knowing that she really wanted to leave, left. And Dominique, Dominique, um, I keep wanting to say Dominique Chambers, but that's not her last name. Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember Dominique's last name. I'll get to it. Anyway, I hope I remember. Anyway, so so Dominique leaves. And in season two, she talks about her story. And I think it's season two, episode three. So there's only four episodes in episode three. Dominique tells her story. Um, and so Dominique... We know Dominique's story. If you watched it, you know her story. I won't go into a whole lot of detail, but Dominique said that it was hard for her to leave. Even though she, you know, she, she knew right from wrong. She knew that this wasn't a good situation for her. It was hard for her to leave. Um, And even in her leaving, she still struggles not to try to reach out to him. And if you know anything about abuse behavior or the cycle of abuse, you know that Victims of abusers go through this period, go through this healing process where even though they know that they are out of this very terrible situation that they've escaped from, they still have a love and affection for their abuser. And it takes some it takes some work, a lot of hard work to come to terms with that and get over that. Right. A lot of hard work. It's not overnight. It's a lot of work, a lot of compassion and love and support from family members around them, from family and friends around them, and then them doing the work to move beyond that point where they can categorize in their mind. I love this person because they treated me well in an effort to do what they wanted with me and to control me. I, I honor the, the good times with them, but the bad times far outweigh. Those, you know, I I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm saying. I guess the point is there's a lot of work that these, that these, um, that people who are victims have to do to remove themselves from their, the perpetrator, from the person that victimized them. Um, And it's not easy. And that's not something that is talked about often. And I appreciate that in season two, we hear from Dominique that story. And the reason why Dominique's story resonates with me is not just because I have a strong connection to my mother and I could so see my mother moving heaven and earth and and talking and bringing my dad talking about, come on, come on, we, we finna do that. You know, I can see my parents moving heaven and earth to try to help me. um, And I would do the same for them. And so that mother, mother, daughter bond was strong. And then Dominique just being clearly looking frail in season one, clearly looking frail and not well, falling into her mother and just knowing that she needed to be away and just so elated to see her mother. And then in season two, she's filled out now. She's looking healthier. She's looking hurt, but she's looking healthy. And I'm talking about emotionally hurt, but she's looking healthy. Um, And, you know, hearing her mother say, you know, I cut my hair bald because my baby's bald and I just want her to know that I'm with her. Oh, I like my new look. I know, don't you, you uh, Dominique? We both ball headed. Okay, fine. We're both gonna be ball headed together because I got your back. We're gonna walk through this together, baby, because you're my child. You're my child. I love you. I'm gonna do anything for you. I will walk through the fire if that means that you you will be okay. And that touched me on that raw mother level. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it because you could tell, you could just tell that. This woman was determined and still is determined to help her baby succeed and support her baby through whatever, through whatever. And if I'm understanding their story correctly, Dominique, Dominique's um, 
Dominique went to some party or whatever, was invited to some party with R. Kelly and, and girl never left. Not really. Like left for a little bit, but like never really left. Um, um, R. Kelly and her mother rarely saw her. Um, and she has a little brother and they have a bond and you see that in, se- in the second season and it's really sweet. Um, but you also hear the heartache of Dominique recognizing that there were major moments from her younger brother that she missed that she will never, able, ever, ever, ever be able to get back. And coming to terms with that, coming to terms with just all of that. Anyway, you got to watch that episode because it's her story is powerful. But the other reason why that story resonated with me is because, and I know I've shared this before in other episodes, certainly last season, um, but my, I had an aunt who was so dear to me, so dear to me. She passed away in 2016. So dear to me. It was, I, I loved her almost as much as I love my mom and I love my mom a lot. And I loved her almost as much, not only because my aunt was my mama's sister um, and they were thick as thieves, but I just had an attachment to this woman that I just loved her. I loved her. She was so sweet to me. I thought she was the bee's knees. She was sophisticated. She was a single woman. She wasn't going to let no man, you know, she, she wanted to do her own thing. You know, if she wanted to achieve a goal, she achieved that thing. She put in that work. She had family that loved her. She had some bad relationships, but she was going to be all right. Right. And so what, but so that was what I was thinking since I was a child going and staying over her house in the city and stuff. And she lived in this very rich part of the city. And I was like, mm, that's my auntie. That's my auntie. Um, that's how I say it. That's my auntie. I know people say aunt. I say auntie. That's my auntie. Um, not auntie. I don't know what the heck an aunt, an auntie is. That was my auntie. Anyway, um, but um, yeah, I spent a lot of summers with her or a lot of a couple of weekends on the summers because again, she didn't live very, <coughs> excuse me. She didn't live very far from us. And anyway, and I know I've talked about my relationship with my Annie who passed away. But anyway, as I got older, I mean, high school, middle school, like, like call it seventh, about seventh grade through college. In college, it ended. But from seventh grade all the way through high school past graduation and maybe my freshman year, my aunt, my auntie, I guess I say both. I say aunt and I say auntie, but I never say aunt because what is that? That's an insect. Anyway, um, she was engaged and married to a man that was trash. He used up her all, he spent up all her money, used up all her credit, Turn, you know, ruined her credit. She married him. He was garbage. He was garbage. He was a trash human being. Um, and, and on top of that, he was abusive. And there were times where he beat her up. She would move out. He would apologize. She would come back. There was that cycle. I can't tell you how many times she left him and would come back. Can't tell you how many times. And I can remember. And each time, you know, we were there for her. Me, my mama, my daddy, you know, family members, their, uh, their brother, mama and uh, my auntie's brother uh, were there for her moving because the, the three of them lived close together, um, like within an hour of each other for the most part. And so, um, you know, they'd move, have their kids come and help move. And I would be a part of the kids that helped move her out. And I can remember one time in this cycle, I remember I must have been 13. I can remember saying, yeah, I was 13 years old and I was real athletic. I was bodybuilding. I didn't think of it at the time, but that's exactly what I was doing. I was <laughs> I was bodybuilding and my coach had me competing in these weightlifting competitions. But I was doing it all because I wanted to stay in shape for track. Um, I did shot put and I did uh, discus and I did some relays, but I, that wasn't my thing. Um, I love shot put and discus. And so anyway, um, oh, I was in shape in, in school, wasn't I? I don't know what happened. Anyway, um, so anyway, so I did all of those things. And, you know, 
so I can remember being on the phone with her. Maybe I was 13, maybe I was 14. And I can remember her saying, yeah, I told this person whose name I won't because he's still he's living. Um, that, yeah, uh, my niece bench presses so many pounds. Don't mess with me because I sick my niece on you. And I can remember, well, girl, the poundage that she mentioned, I was a, a smart aleck when I was a, a child. Very know it all. I, oof, anyway, I was a terrible person at the time um, because I was just trying to figure it out. And I think I, I, the way I turned into figuring things out was to be a jerk about it. And I hope I'm less of a jerk now. Um, I hope. Anyway, um, but anyway, I can remember correcting her saying, well, that's what I, that's what I deadlift. That's or that's what I can bench. Um, what is it? Squat. That's what, how much I can squat. And then she turns around and says to um, her uh, husband at the time. Um, yeah, she w- she could do that with her legs. She kicked the hell out of you, I think is what she said or something like that. And I can just remember thinking like, girl, why are you even with this clown? Like, what are you doing? Couldn't understand it. Now, this is a woman I mean to tell you. Super smart. My, my On my mother's side, on my daddy's side too, but on my mother's side, those kids, all of my mama's kids, or not my mama's kids, but all of her siblings and my mama, super smart, graduated when they were, graduated school when they were like, if the average age of graduation is 17, 18, all of them graduated 15, 16. Now, I don't know if that was how things were done back in the, the day when they graduated, when they were in school, but all of them graduated early. For, for today's standard, they graduated early, um, gone off to college. But back in, in that time, it was college seemed like what rich people did. And so all, most of them just got jobs um, and then went back to get their degrees. I think mama hasn't finished just because she hasn't finished, but she totally could. And I'm going to get on her later about that anyway. But like they were super smart, finished early. One of them is an engineer in the army. So he did finish um, and he's draws up plans for stuff and does stuff. Anyway, they're super smart, whatever. Anyway, so she was among that crew. I think they were like competing with each other at the time. Like, oh, you think you can do that? Well, I can do this. Anyway, so super smart, super smart. I think she was in, she was definitely in, in insurance. Um, super smart, traveled all over, all over the country and then was blessed to travel out of the country for her job as well. Anyway, had it going on. As my mama would say, had it going on, um, but was with this clown. And I, so I was at the stage as a teenager, I was at the stage where I was like, girl, okay. I mean, you super smart, but like you super dumb when it comes to this guy. Couldn't understand it. So she didn't break that cycle. She didn't break that cycle until sophomore year of college when she reached out to me and said, well, I'm divorced. Up until that point, again, I took seventh grade. So what are you when you're in seventh grade? What are you, 11, 12? Can't call it. Anyway, so from there till about what, 21, 20, 21? That, that's a long time. Seven years of a cycle with this clown who beat her, beat her terribly, abused her. And this coming from a woman who, remember if I told you, um, she was supporting her good girlfriend who's, she she had just left her husband and this man busts into their apartment and I'm sorry, this is graphic, but busts into their apartment, beat my aunt with uh, the butt of the, uh, the sh- of a shotgun to get her out of the way and then killed his um, his wife. And I don't know if he turned the gun on himself or not, But I just remember that my aunt, for a while, she was bruised and broken because of what this other man did that she didn't have a relationship with. And so for me to say, you saw this in your friend, your friend is no longer here, either no longer there or was just hurt real bad because of an abusive man. And then here you go into an uh, an abusive situation yourself where he was violent towards you and you stay with him. Couldn't understand it. I understand it now because it's the cycle of abuse. It's hard once you've been, they get in your head, these predators, these devious people get in your head and it's like they, it's like a piece of it changes the chemistry to where they condition you into believing that this is what you deserve. You won't deserve anything else. And they truly love you. They just, they just sometimes lose their, lose their cool. And, and 
I couldn't understand it then. And I regret how angry I was at my aunt all those years and how cold I was to her. But the fact that she went out of her way to tell me, yeah, I put in my papers and I'm free now. She called me the day of her, the day, um, the day that her divorce was finalized. Um, she called me. She said, yeah, girl, I went to work. And I think, to be honest with you, I don't even know if I, I don't even know if I picked up. I think she left me a message. And then I called my mama and mama told me that that filled in the details, but she left me a message, um, saying, yeah, girl, shoot. All my lunch break, I went over, um, it, of course, it was a little longer than her lunch break. But yes, she went to the courthouse. He didn't show up. This Negro didn't show up. The the the, um, the judge said, well, that's that. And I'm fine. I'm free now. I'm completely free now. And then she started the new chapter of her whole life and switched it all around and did all of these wonderful things. And then a couple of years later, maybe seven, eight years later, she passed away. Um, but in those seven, eight years that God allowed her to have, she was free from that fool. I don't know how much contact she had with him. That's not my business. I also know that she left some money for an anonymous party. And I, there's a piece of me that said it was that Negro. And I pray it wasn't him, but I bet you it was, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't want to go down that road, but I never want to see him again in my life. Um, ever him or his people, none y'all, none of y'all anyway. But I, I just, I know knowing what I know now, The reason why Dominic's story hit me so tough was because I have the I have the benefit of time and more knowledge on my side to know that it's hard to leave an abusive situation real, real hard, even though, you know, you should, even though, you know, you can't you shouldn't be with them, that person. It's hard to leave. And so that Dominique story really resonated with me. And I know that she's free now and I know that she has a lot of work. To, to do. And it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time for her to be free. Um, I think the fact that he is in jail um, and going through these legal troubles is helpful in keeping her away from him. But she's still got some work that she needs to do. So people, we need to just wrap her up in love and support. But the other piece that I want to talk about is those women. And I actually, I won't spend a lot of time on that. I'll just end. I'll just end it by saying It does not surprise. I do not like. There's a piece of me that hated the fact that the two women that were that Dream Hampton had in the documentary in support of him were two white women because it kind of. And I don't know if she was doing that to say, you know, there are a lot of black people that are still supporting him. And so let me just bring you this difference in these two white women. Or it just happens to be that these two white women who are sisters supported him. And they were very, very pale and very blonde, but whatever. Um how I just didn't like the juxtaposition of these brown girls and then these white women, these white girls, so brown women, white women. Let me clean that up. I didn't like that. And I don't know if I was supposed to feel like I can't stand you because you're white or I can't stand you because you are a part of the problem. And I want it to be, I can't stand you because you're a part of the problem. Because let us be clear, there are a whole lot of black women who are like, y'all knew better. Y'all knew better. And this ain't hit this man's fault. Y'all knew better, right? But the they worked for him. They saw some of the victims. They don't call them victims. They call them people. They call them people who knew what they were doing. And these parents, and one of them even said, these parents sold these kids. You knew what you were doing. So it's like there's an admission that R. Kelly was trash in saying y'all knew what you were doing when you put your child up there in that in that situation. And so I guess the last thing that I'll say on that is gross, man. Like, why are there still supporters of R. Kelly and this pedophile? He's a pedophile. He's also a predator. Why? Why are there still supporters? It's like there's a piece of me that says, Dream, why did you put them on, on? Why did you put them on TV? Why? Why did you give them any shine? And I don't know. I like I there's a piece of me that the vindictive piece of me that says, OK, now you can get all the hate that all these girls were getting from people on the opposite side. Now you can get this fire. Um, but that's not how you want to do like nobody. None of these women should be pilloried for anything. The person that we need to be focusing on is R. Kelly. The person that needs to be up under the jail is R. Kelly. Period. Um, yeah. So anyway, Woo, 
Ooh-wee, that, that show, that was something. So yeah, um, I think as our society, and I, I know as our society, we put so much pressure. It's like we put the onus on the victims to prove their victimhood. And I think the conversation that Dream is trying to start or has started and, and put a spot a light on, put a shot spotlight on, and Tarana Burke um, and all these smart people is that not only do women in most cases, and, and all most cases, yeah, women have to prove their victimhood to you before many people believe them, be, become sympathetic to them. But black women have it harder. Brown, black and brown people have it harder, which I don't want to go back and forth and say, oh, that's, it's just a fact. It is just a fact that, I mean, think of it. Think of it. Let's just talk about stars for a second. Stars in general, what is the, over the years of sports, there are movies about groupies, right? Groupie culture, not even about groupie culture. It's about groupies, but the the story is about that person. So what was it? The baseball Annie, what was that baseball movie with Susan Sarandon and that man who they ended up being in a relationship with for like years and then they broke up? You know what I'm talking about? Like Annie's baseball Annie's are supposed to be the groupies of baseball players and that was that 80s film about that and it was supposed to be a big deal right um and there you know stories about women following uh, rock stars around and doing nasty things and being super young on tour buses and still being engaged in sexual activities um with these grown people um even though they were 18 19 these some of these rock stars they were still messing with 14 year olds 13 year olds right Um, Ted Nugent, when everybody knows that story that he adopted, he adopted a 16, a 17-year-old or something like 16 or 17-year-old for, so that he could do whatever he wanted with them. That's the story. And people talk about that, like, that's a, he's a legend. That's gross, right? Um, there are so many other stories. Again, Dream Hampton does this thing where she pulls out talking about Elvis, Elvis Presley and, and how old Lisa Marie, not Lisa Marie. Priscilla was how old Priscilla was when he um, wed her. Um, uh, Gray balls of fire, dude. Can't call it anyway. Um, but no. The, so my, the point is, there are a lot of we have a we have a history in the United States for sure. We have a history of glorifying bad behavior, especially predatory behavior. We have a history of saying, "Oh, well, there's always going to be young girls around these stars because they're stars and everybody loves them." And these stars, in turn, can have their pick of the litter and they do whatever they want because these women are freely giving themselves over to this person. Even though what we know is the age of consent in all these states are these these girls are younger than the age of consent and have been and. We're okay with that. There's a culture of us being okay. And, and again, I'm talking about the United States. There's a culture of us being okay with how you treat, treating young girls as if they're grown women, as if they have agency to allow you to treat them in any sort of way. If you are in a position of power and you are older, all bets are off. All bets are off, right? And I know that the, in other countries across the globe, there is a problem with that as well, but I just know the United States because that's where I'm from. And so we, in this culture of rock stars and, and accepting bad behavior as the norm and being okay with it, right? And, and we have been in the last 20 years trying to come to terms with, okay, but like that was messed up, right? As a society and trying to figure out, okay, well, so what is the way forward? Because we're having a hard time being human beings as a culture, I think. We know right from wrong, but we're trying to find excuses we're trying to excuse find ways to excuse bad behavior and one of the ways that we do it is saying oh these girls knew what they were doing these parents knew what they were doing when they did xyz we're taking that parents zeal to support their child and think of it's think of it as cool that a, a star would pick them out of a lineup and who knows where they could take my child's career we're taking that feeling and exploiting it to say, oh, you gave your you gave your daughter up 
to this devil, this demon. You knew that he was about to mess. You knew what he was, he had been doing. You knew it and you didn't care because you wanted that money. We turned around and victimized them. When in reality, the person that we need to be pillaring, we, I can't say that word. The person that we need to be putting up on a skewer is our Kelly himself, are these predators themselves, right? Even with Jeffrey Epstein, not Jeffrey, Ep- Jeffrey Epstein, they're trying to make it seem like, no, not Jeffrey. Who was, who was the guy? Weinstein. How long did it take? For all of these women to be like all of these. No, this is what happened. So many stories started to come out that people were saying, oh, all of these can't be true. All of these can't be true. Why can't they? Why can't they be true? Why can't we believe a victim? Why can't we give the victim a benefit of the doubt until the proven? You you get what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't make any sense the way the amount of pressure that we put on victims to prove their victimhood. Like you have to be perfect. Otherwise you're not perfect. Otherwise you're not believed. It's just like, um, what is it? I don't know where I learned this, but, um, there are women who are sex workers. There are people who are sex workers that know that they have to have their story together. If they're ever raped, um, having refused service, to service someone, if they're ever raped or they're ever victimized, they have to be so, they have to be so um, on point with how they're describing the situation to a police officer. Otherwise, they're not going to be believed because it's hard for us as a society to believe that a person who's a sex worker can be raped, which it shouldn't be hard to believe. But because we're so doggone judgmental and because we, again, put the onus on the victim to prove the victimhood. We got to make them work twice as hard. That's the way it is. We can't just be human beings. We can't just be. And when I'm saying human beings, I recognize that we are flawed as human beings and we come up with stuff all the time. And that is the reason why we make victims do all this work to prove their victimhood. But I guess what I'm really saying is. Why can't we just look at this like a child would you say you've been victimized? Okay, talk to me. What's going on? What happened? How can we make this right? Right? Like, why can't we just take it for what it is and then go from there? And if it's proven wrong later, we'll, we'll address it at that time. But can for now, can we just support and comfort this person? It don't have to be all this. It doesn't have to be so hard, but yet it is. And so the, the, because our culture is like this, this is why we have whole websites, de- uh, whole websites just trying to discredit all of these women who have been victimized, some of which were children when they were victimized. And have been scarred emotionally and otherwise for life. And for all the arc, so for this story and all of his victims, again, there are 40 plus cases. There are probably more. We know that there are more, but these are the only people who have been strong enough to come up and, and bring up a case against him. We know that there are people just like him, just like Harvey Weinstein, who with their power have been victimizing people for years, probably doing it right now, probably doing it right now. Jeffrey Epstein seemed to come out of nowhere, right? But he'd been doing, he'd been running his, those, doing those things for decades, right? So when Harvey Weinstein came out, he was still doing it, right? When Harvey Weinstein came out, R. Kelly was still being who he was. So you mean to tell me there's nobody else out here? We know that there are others out there messing up. Remember Kevin, Kevin Spacey and that foolishness that he was not, not the foolishness, but the what he was caught up in, you believe that that was the only time that he was caught up having a sexually harassed someone, but the fact that they were gay kind of made it so like, oh, you're not really a victim. You know what I mean? Like, again, we put all these layers on people and, and I apologize for just go with me. Who's to say that that never happened before? Who's to say? I just I think I, I am. I think stars and people in power are at a better place to victimize people than we want to admit as a society. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to come to terms with that. And I think we need to start changing things because of it. But will those things change? Probably not. Let's be real. But will they be harder to get away with? Sure. And I can, I can sleep. I can live with that. I can live with that. 
All right. Well, that was my take on that. Sorry, this was a heavy episode. Um, Again, I'll put a little warning about the sensitive nature of this conversation in the notes. um, Yeah, feel free to send me a message. Um, Write in. If you click the show notes, you can send me a message right from there. You don't have to download anything. Just send me a message about what you felt about this episode or the episode that I did on Surviving R. Kelly, the first season and any thoughts you have about any of this or what you thought at the time and what you think now or you know, your feeling about Dream Hamptons, um, the way she, the the series itself and some of the stories, how they were set up, um, because I certainly have more to say about that. But I think the, I think what I really wanted to talk about was Dominique. Um, and that aspect of this series, season two. But yeah, I have other complaints. I have some, some, some frustrations about the way Dream put this thing together, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, so I'd love to hear your thoughts about that um, or anything, really. Um, and while you're on my page, you can go to my page and you can donate. Even 99 cents would be a helpful contribution. But if that's not your thing, just share. Share and, and, and rate. Uh, favorable ratings only, five stars. I already read uh, one of the ratings that I received, but I would love to read another one. So rate me favorably, if you would, please. I appreciate it because ultimately you sharing an episode that you think someone in your fa- friend group would really appreciate um, or the fact that you're listening ultimately helps expand the reach of this show um, and helps me to continue doing this thing that I enjoy doing. Um, so, yeah. So, again, you know, rate me favorably five stars on CastBox, Pocket Cash, Spotify, Google Play, um, Apple Podcast, <laughs> whatever, um, Player FM, all the places where you listen to this show. Keep listening. Rate me favorably. Um, share, share, and share alike. Okay. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.